that's called Ding Kui Chat. When they smell the danger, they are like rounder, right? This mammal is so elusive. It's almost almost like a magical, mythical creature. Some say it looks like a dragon, and when it curls up, it looks like a dragon egg. It's not a particularly cute animal. Quirky, eccentric, maybe shy. Yeah, it's very shy. It's not a particularly cute animal. Quirky, eccentric, maybe shy. Don't show themselves in the day. They are talking about pangolins, the most trafficked mammal in the world. These lizard-like animals have up to a thousand scales covering their bodies, and when threatened, curl up in a little ball for protection. They're native to Africa and Asia, and during the night emerge from their dens to feed on a diet of ants and termites. So, why are these shy creatures so sought after here in Asia? And what's being done to save them? In this season, we follow an international group of journalists who have joined forces to produce the Pangolin Reports, an investigation into the poaching, smuggling, and consumption of pangolins. Bonnie Ao, a Hong Kong-based journalist, and I go undercover with them here in Asia to look at why this prehistoric mammal is being trafficked to extinction. Welcome to Sustainable Asia. I'm Marcy Trent Long. This is Season Seven: The Pangolin Reports. For many years, pangolin scales have been used in traditional Chinese medicine, and their meat viewed as a luxury item by Chinese. They buy them to impress friends, family, and business partners. Kind of like the seafood four treasures that we talked about in season four, this appetite for unusual species continues, even in the face of the Wuhan coronavirus. But Bonnie, what does the Wuhan coronavirus have to do with pangolins? Well, actually, quite a lot. So it turns out that the cause of this outbreak has been linked to a wholesale seafood market, which allegedly sold all kinds of wildlife meat. From koalas, peacocks to salamanders, bamboo rats, and of course, there's the pangolins. China's love for eating unusual species is kind of backfiring now, as poor handling of these wildlife animals in crowded wet markets is somehow spreading diseases like the coronavirus to humans. So, by handling and eating these unusual animals, Chinese are now actually putting their own lives at risk. Pretty much. So that's why in January this year, China placed a temporary ban on wildlife trade to combat the coronavirus. Yes, but of course, not all Chinese people follow this habit of eating wildlife, like Jiaming Xu. So he's a brave lead reporter for the Pangolin Reports. So a couple of months ago, he decided to fly from China to Myanmar and go undercover to learn more about the pangolin trade there. So we asked him to start kind of record a diary for us. Today is the 14th of November. I've just arrived in Myanmar, got some cash, and changed my SIM card. I just booked myself a taxi on the app, just waiting for it to come now. The weather is pretty hot. It definitely felt more crowded. Jamming has just arrived in Yangon, a southern city of Myanmar. I'm a southern city. 
北方生生活的过程中，我 I'm from northern China. I've never heard of anyone eating pangolins before, and I knew nothing about pangolins. 知识，呃，但是我已经在广州生活六年。But I've been living in Guangzhou for six years, so I know people in Guangdong have this cultural tradition of eating wildlife animals. I think I might have heard of people talking about this pangolin as a wildlife cuisine before. 一个野味吧。He said his first knowledge of penguins came from this Chinese cartoon called Huluwa. Jiameng was like most Chinese of his generation. They had heard about the medicinal qualities of the penguin, but then they really didn't know much about the animal itself. I only got to know more about the pangolins after started working on the pangolin reports. Before then, I didn't even know it was endangered or at which level of protection it is under. During his trip in Myanmar. He partnered with a Burmese journalist. My name is Denta Bai. She is a senior reporter and editor for the newspaper Myanmar Now. We Burmese people were not very,、uh, especially those who live in cities, we're not very familiar to pangolins. It turns out that Myanmar is one of the hotspots for eating pangolins, partly because it's so close to China. The location was quite interesting. It's located just opposite to Myanmar's international airport, and the hotel seems to only target Chinese tourists. In the floor below, there were two to four restaurants of different classes. Some were specialty restaurants, some were fast food restaurants. I saw a lot of written Chinese, and there were many Chinese people too. The whole atmosphere is very strange for me, but Jamin said it's really China. The atmosphere didn't look right for me,、uh, even though I'm a Burmese Chinese here. So Jamin and Tin are now at the restaurant, and he's asking the owner whether there are any wildlife delicacies. And the restaurant owner said, "We have bear paws, penguins, everything." We can braise them and have them in soups and hot pots for everything. And here, Jiaming says, just one pangolin, you can use it for several meals. Yes, twice, the owner said, half for braise and half for soup. The restaurant owner says that's about 800 renminbi for one kilogram. That's more than 100 US dollars. Jiaming then asked, "Do I need to pre-order?" And the restaurant owner says that they have it every day. Jamming and the restaurant owner even exchanged a WeChat account, and the owner continues to say that, you know, he has everything from bear paws to snake scales, basically everything. The restaurant owner also reassured Jamming that they have been doing this business for over a decade. This was really surprising to Jamming and Tin. But then something even more unexpected happened. I didn't think that we would be able to see one, but it was so easy and open. And one guy came out like holding a pangolin, and he put it on the map. I was like, "Whoa, that is the first time I saw a live pangolin." That was a little bit shocking, surprising, and like eye-opening for me. Why are pangolins so sought after by some Chinese? Jiaming says pangolins are rather expensive. So if you're a boss or a CEO, and you treat your guests to it, it demonstrates your power, and that gives you faith and makes you look generous. He also says that maybe it's more of a shady side in Chinese traditional culture, just like bear paws and monkeys. All of these are delicacies that give faith. 
The question is, where are the pangolins in these restaurants coming from? All of the eight species of pangolins that live in Asia and Africa are listed on CITES Appendix 1, a global trade agreement that bans all international trade of the mammal. So if they're coming from outside Myanmar, then it would have to be through pretty sophisticated, illegal, and probably criminal smuggling networks. The other option is that maybe they're being sourced from their local habitat in eastern Myanmar. Well, yeah, it doesn't really make sense because under Myanmar law, hunting, selling, and trading of pangolins is completely illegal. If you're convicted in Myanmar, you would be sentenced for 3 to 10 years in prison or fined up to 700 US dollars. So the restaurant in Yangon, Myanmar, where Jiaming and Tin went, somehow the laws are not being enforced? That's right. According to Jiaming, Chinese diners who want to eat pangolin meat find it easier to go out of the country to places like Myanmar. Eating pangolins in China is not so easy. So there was this one time where we connected with an experienced volunteer who has been fighting against pangolin consumption for years. He gave me a trader's number from Guangxi and also made up a good cover story for me. So I started developing a relationship with the trader. And when I got back from Vietnam to Guangxi, I asked if I could meet him. He suddenly became very alert. He made it clear that what we were doing is illegal. Are you trying to put me in danger? What are you? He was very suspicious of me. In fact, according to people who have been investigating this for years, they also said it's difficult to find pangolins to eat and is also very expensive. So the trend is slowly fading. It has improved a lot in China. Fewer people are eating pangolins. Under China's Wild Animal Protection Law enacted in 1988, pangolins are listed as Class II endangered wildlife, which means that Chinese law prohibits the hunting, selling, and buying of pangolins for cooking and food consumption. And a recent amendment to the law banned trading pangolins on the Internet. So the situation inside China appears to be improving, and they seem to be enforcing these laws. But after this short break, we'll talk about why this effort may still not be enough to protect the pangolins. We couldn't produce this podcast without the generous support of our sponsors, Media X. Media X is in Hong Kong cultivating Asia's next generation of media innovators and entrepreneurs. Media X is based out of the Journalism and Media Studies Center at the University of Hong Kong, where Sustainable Asia is also recorded. Also, a quick plug for our media partners, China Dialogue. The China Dialogue bilingual website offers informative discussions on China and the environment, including the show notes for this podcast in Mandarin and English. Now back to Season 7, The Pangolin Reports. So China's doing a better job controlling the illegal trade of pangolin under their wild animal protection law. But because pangolins are considered a class 2 endangered wildlife, you can still hunt, buy, and sell pangolins in China for some purposes. And under the class 2 status, pangolins can still be traded for scientific studies or other authorized uses. And that other authorized uses opens up a big loophole in the law. 
because according to Jiaming's research, the official guidebook on Chinese medicine lists pangolins as an allowable ingredient. In China, it is very easy to buy legal and medicinal pangolin scales. At least in Guangzhou, Foshan, Shantou, Guangxi, Nanning, and several other cities I went, legal pangolin scales were easily accessible. Its price is about seven to ten RMB per gram. It's just a more expensive traditional medicine, really. In the 1960s, Chinese state agencies counted about 160,000 pangolins captured every year. But those pangolins in China are pretty much gone. In 2015, the Pangolin Reports estimated that about 50,000 pangolins worth of scales to be illegally imported into China. So the question is. What drives this huge demand from China? Why are people willing to pay these high prices? Well, by far and by biggest, it's the growing affluence that actually is driving almost anything in China. Wander Meyer, director of GlobeScan, specializes in market research reports to better understand end consumers of the wildlife trade. I mean, let's not forget, there's 1.4 billion Chinese people, and until 30, 40 years ago, everybody was poor. Now, almost half of those people is middle class. So this is an enormous accumulation of wealth, and all those people, most of those people, actually consume one way or the other TCM. TCM is traditional Chinese medicine. So if you just multiply the enormous increase of the middle class with the number of people who potentially could buy, so it's according to our research, maybe just eight to ten percent of people have bought one piece of pangolin product into TCM for the past twelve months or twenty-four months. But let's not forget that three, four, five hundred million middle-class people in China. So then you end up with millions and millions of people buying this product. So that is actually is the biggest increase, or biggest reason for the increase in, in the demand for pangolins. What types of people in China tend to consume pangolin scales for medicinal reasons? We didn't see major differences between gender. No major differences between age either. The major differentiating factor is income and education. And actually, since income education is almost parallel, the more you study in general, the more you earn. Those are the main drivers of the consumption of pangolin parts and products. Okay, so it's clear that China's recent affluence has increased the demand for pangolins. In fact, a lot of illegal wildlife trade has been smuggled into China because of this new wealth. But do pangolin scales really have the positive health effects that some people believe? It's a good question. We talked to Dr. Lao Lixing, who is the retired director of University of Hong Kong School of Medicine, one of the leading global institutions researching the efficacy of wildlife ingredients in TCM. He said that pangolin scales have a unique place in Chinese medicine. Pangolin scales actually originally、uh, used the Chinese medicine as mainly for the promote、uh, lactation for women who、uh, after deliver baby they don't have enough milk. For the kids, then they can help. The other one is for the females menstruation to stimulate the menstruation flow. Then also for other conditions, for for example the arthritic condition, joint pain, particularly due to the wind, cold weather, or dampness in the body. Pangolin scales are unique because they are made up of mostly keratin, the same stuff our fingernails are made of, and that's a protective protein that can be used for a lot of ailments in Chinese medicine. But has Chinese medicine been scientifically proven that it works, or is it really just a superstition? 
a good question, but I, I can answer. I, I don't think this is a superstition. If we look at the original literature, Asian literature, there's nothing to do with uh, superstition. They really think these can be used and they practiced. They used uh, for treat the patient. So they find this useful and patient recovered. Now, however, even though Chinese medicine has been used for many, many years, but still something lack is called evidence-based. That means we don't have enough uh, research. Uh, we don't have this kind of uh, evidence to support this. Dr. Lau also quoted from a study which said that over 80% of Chinese practitioners believed endangered species should not be used in Chinese medicine and that they should use alternatives instead. He then quoted from the famous book Da Yi Jing Cheng by Sun Si Miao, a Tang Dynasty physician who is dubbed the king of medicine in China. He said that in ancient time, some people used the animal product to uh, treat a human. However, if you kill the animal, kill the life to save another life, itself is away from the original meaning. The original meaning of life. Sun said that in the greatest scheme of things, he believes that the lives of animals and humans were equal. So that's why he said, I never used animal products in my formula. So it seems that in the original Chinese medicine from the Tang Dynasty, over a thousand years ago, Chinese doctors like Sun didn't prescribe animal ingredients to patients. But things are looking a little bit different now in China. So Jiaming, do you know how often pangolins are legally prescribed to patients? Actually, from the list of medicines we saw, China has around 70 categories and 200 kinds of Chinese medicine that includes the legal use of pangolins. In China, TCM doctors and clinics are reluctant to prescribe them to patients. Some even turn down patients into prescribing these medicines. And in fact, some of these medicines have stopped manufacturing. If you want to buy the raw ingredient, you will actually buy the entire shell, and it is legal. The raw ingredient is quite easily accessible. So after registering and buying it back home, you can boil it as Chinese medicine yourself. So it sounds like there's a little bit of contradiction. You can buy pangolin scales as raw ingredients, but they're not being prescribed much by TCM doctors. It's like Jiaming said earlier, pangolin scales are just a more expensive choice for a Chinese medicine ingredient. Jiaming also had this to say, I hope that China will improve and reform the Chinese medicinal use of pangolins, referencing what they are already doing for the other wildlife species parts, such as elephant tusks, buffalo horns, and tiger bones. In August 2019, there were discussions of increasing pangolin's protection to the class 1 endangered species. And that includes not just the Chinese pangolins, but also the Malayan and Indian pangolins. So I guess these are all signs of improvement. The very first steps, the whole process, will of course, be a long one. Thanks to the Pangolin Reports and their courageous journalists Jiaming Xu from Guangzhou and Tin Tet Pain from Myanmar, we have a much better understanding now of how to stop the illegal pangolin trade and save this unique, harmless, and adorable mammal from extinction. In October this year, for the first time ever, China's hosting the UN Convention on Biodiversity. 
Maybe this will be a time when China finally decides it can move pangolins up to a Class 1 endangered wildlife under the law and ban it from being sold for medicinal purposes. After all, it seems to be more of a luxury medicine anyway. From Dr. Lau, we can see that the original intention of TCM was to respect and appreciate the use of animals. But that seems to have drifted away with the increasing wealth in China recently. This February, China is supposed to convene pre-meetings in Kunming to prepare for the October UN Biodiversity Conference. But those meetings have to be relocated given the Wuhan coronavirus epidemic. It's interesting that just as China is taking an admirable leadership role on the subject of biodiversity, that the Wuhan coronavirus now shines a spotlight on a dark side of China's wildlife consumption. In the next episode of Season 7, The Pangolin Reports, we'll look at the pangolin trade in Southeast Asia and how that trade is not only killing off the pangolins, but also getting innocent villagers caught in its web of criminal trafficking. He picked out a pangolin from a nylon bag and dumped it in a bamboo basket. That pangolin was so energetic and full of energy, it was trying to escape. He got out of the basket right away. It fell on the ground. The owner lady picked it up again, hitting it on its head. It rolled up again into a ball, and the lady put it back into the nylon bag. Season 7 of the Sustainable Asia podcast, The Pangolin Reports, was made in collaboration with China Dialogue and The Pangolin Reports. The season was hosted by me, Marcy Trent Long, produced by Bonnie Ao, with assistant producer Amber Ho. Sound engineering by Chris Wood. And a big thank you to our voiceover, Jack Lau, and the whole Sustainable Asia team, Josie Chan, Crystal Wu, Yufei Wu, Sam Columby, and Jill Baxter. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music, made from repurposed and recovered waste items. You can find his work on www.kalelover.net. Subscribe to our podcast for more content and share our podcast with your friends. To find out more about us, visit our website, sustainableasia.co, and follow us on Twitter, at SustainableAsia, or Facebook, Sustainable Asia Co. Show notes for this podcast can be found in English and Mandarin on chinadialogue.net. Thank you and stay tuned for more of a fresh perspective on Asia and the environment.